Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. It's time for the sermon, and I want to explain to you what we're doing. You know, last Sunday was Easter Sunday. It was Easter weekend. We had a a really special Good Friday service last Friday night that many of you were here for. It was was just packed. It It was just a wonderful time of reflection. And then Easter Sunday, we had two services, and it was just, man, it was such a blessing uh, after all of the time and preparation that, that we put into this, uh, it just seemed like, man, the plane landed with you guys, that, that there was something that was meaningful that just rested upon so many people here. And I'm so grateful for that. But I have good news for you again, and that is that Easter is not just one day. Did you know that? And I mean that very, very literally. Like on the Christian calendar, Easter is not one day. It's seven weeks. It's a season. You know, it just seems unjust that we would spend this entire time in Lent for 40 days and then Easter we celebrate it for one day and then we move on. Well, we don't have to do that. Easter's a season and, and the fancy word for it is Eastertide. So I felt this year, I don't know, I can't promise I'll do it every year, but I, I can promise this year we're going to have an Eastertide series. And, uh, and so the title of this Eastertide series in 2023, is practicing resurrection. I am borrowing a term coined by Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite thinkers, authors, pastors. He's, he's made just such a deep impact on my life. And we're going to talk about practicing resurrection in this series. Let me give you kind of the, the concept of the series. In my Easter sermon last week, I closed with this analogy, and I talked about how When you go to the movie theater to watch a movie, before they begin showing the movie, they show you several previews, several trailers, you know, two to three minutes long. And when you watch these different trailers, it's not the whole movie. It's one tiny snippet of the movie, different little scenes of the movie. But the whole purpose of watching the movie is that it would, or excuse me, of watching the trailer or the preview, is that it would give you some kind of glimpse, some kind of taste into what that movie's going to be like when it fully comes out, when it's fully released. So the idea is I'll watch the preview, I'll, it'll stoke my interest, and I'll say, man, I want to be there when the movie comes out. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is to be. That's what we're invited to become, is we are called to be a preview of the coming attraction. What is the coming attraction? Well, there's, a coming, there's coming a time when Jesus is going to return. How many believe Jesus is going to return? I sure do. I sure, I sure hope so. But I believe it. I'm convicted of that. Jesus is going to return. He's not going to kick the world to the garbage can. He's not going to watch the world burn. He's going to come back. He's going to make things right. And that can happen at any moment, I believe. But Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus returns, everything about human life, human society, creation itself is going to be made exactly the way God would have it to be. Things that are incongruent with God's character and God's vision for the world are going to be destroyed and eradicated. And everything that is congruent with God's character and God's vision for human society and creation itself is going to be perfected and refined and eternalized. And once and for all, the Hebrew concept of shalom, everything exactly the way it ought to be, it will come upon and cover the entire 
cosmos. Jesus is coming to make things right. Well, in the meantime, if that's the coming attraction, you and I as the church of Jesus Christ, we're called to be the preview of that coming attraction. In other words, the way that we live, the way we treat one another, the way we think, the way we operate, everything about us, the Holy Spirit wants to continually transform you and transform us into people whose lives reflect the reality of that age to come. So that the people around you, your coworkers, your neighbors, everyone around you, when they come in contact with your, with your life and witness your life and rub shoulders with you, they are getting a glimpse into what things will be like when everything's made right, and it'll develop a craving. I want to be part of that. I want to be participating in what God is doing. So we are called to be that preview of the coming attraction. In order for that to happen, though, there is a certain process of formation that we need to engage in. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this series on practicing resurrection. That is, we're going to be looking at the disciplines of spiritual formation that can make our salvation rich and full. Because again, we've got to get beyond this idea that salvation was a one-time event that happened at the beginning of my journey. And now I'm done with that. I'm not, salvation's over with. I can check that box. No, it's not a ticket to heaven. It's not a, uh, just a blanket pardon. Salvation is an in invitation into a new way of life because what's being saved is not simply your status. What's being saved is you. You are being saved out of a life of pride, out of a life of greed, out of a life of self-centeredness and lust. And that's an ongoing journey that will last your entire life. It's an expedition. And so we need a process of proper spiritual formation to make that possible for us. And it's the mechanism that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us. Everyone is spiritually formed. Everyone. That includes your atheist neighbor. It includes your agnostic coworker. Everyone is spiritually formed. The problem is we as a human race, we have become malformed. We are misformed. We are deformed. Just by virtue of the fact that you were born into a society of consumerism and greed and individualism and materialism and secularism and all of that kind of stuff, you have been formed in a particular way. You've been malformed. You didn't have to take a class in it. You didn't have to ask for it. It just happened to you. We've been formed by our culture in a death-producing way. And so what needs to happen, part of salvation is this whole process of the Holy Spirit forming us as a human being in the right way. And so we, we participate, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit by engaging in spiritual practices that the church has embraced for 2,000 years. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Here's the theme passage of the series. I want us to look at this. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. This is another one of uh, Paul's letters to a young man, Titus. And look at what Paul writes here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us. Notice he doesn't talk about it as a ticket or a pardon. He talks about it as a training program. And what are we training for? We are being trained in Christ on how to be human. He says, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Paul just said in one sentence everything that I've just spoken so far. Well, Ryan, you could have just said it in one sentence too. You know. But my job is to make it longer. All right. So let's get started. In the first spiritual practice that we're going to be dealing with in this series is the practice of prayer. This is a biggie here for us at Village Church. It's a biggie for me. I give prayer workshops all throughout the year. Um, it's something I really, really believe in. And I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer. I'm going to give you a tiny little slice of what we talk about in our prayer workshop. If you've never taken one of those, many of you have. And if you have, this will be a little bit of a review for you. Um, but I want to talk to you about prayer. And right off the bat, I want you to know this is going to be a guilt-free sermon. I, I know that people can very easily be made to feel guilty about their prayer life. And that's not what I want to do. What I want to do is help you. And what I want to do is give you a strategy for prayer that you can adopt, that is proven, that is workable and attainable for anyone and everyone here. You can do this. You can do this. But before we even get started, we need to define the purpose of prayer. And it's right here. I mean, for some of you right off the bat, this is going to be a paradigm shift for you. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do. The primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed by God in Christ-like character. That's the primary purpose. Not to twist God's arm and get God to do what I think God ought to do because that leaves me still in charge. The primary purpose of prayer is to encounter God and to be formed by God over time. You are misshapen. There are things about your inner life that are fundamentally wrong and unhealthy. And so the primary purpose of prayer is to be formed in a correct and healthy way. So that's what we're going to do. And if you can just keep that in mind, everything else I talk about today will make sense to you. If you don't keep that in mind, very little of what I say today is going to make sense to you. So that's the primary purpose. Now, in Luke chapter 11, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, we find Jesus in prayer here. In fact, uh, Luke is very fond of telling us and noting how often Jesus prayed. It's one of the, the themes of Luke and Acts. So let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then he, so he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be revered as holy, May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. This is Luke's version of what we know is the Lord's Prayer. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, there's another version of the Lord's Prayer that is very similar, but it's more polished, it's more poetic, and it's more expanded. And that's the version that we're most familiar with that uh, the church for the last 2,000 years has adopted into our communal practice, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and so on. But there's a couple things I want you to know about the Lord's Prayer. First of all, and this will be a new thought for some of you, did you know that the Lord's Prayer belonged to the church and was enculturated in their practice long before it was ever written down as scripture. In other words, the Lord's prayer is older 
than the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of those Gospels were written like 30 or 40 years at least after the events of Jesus' life. But the Lord's Prayer had already been part of Christian practice for an entire generation going back to the original apostles long before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John ever sat down to write their account of Jesus' life. So in other words, the Lord's Prayer was a prayer before it became Scripture. That's interesting. I think it's interesting. All right, let me move on. You're not impressed. (laughs) The second thing is this. The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And I want you to notice what Jesus does not do. Jesus does not do what so many people do today. And he says, uh, well, you know, just be sincere and talk to God and tell God what's on your heart. Now, listen, there's a time in your prayer time. There's a time for doing that. I talk to God. And I tell God what's on my heart every time I pray. I think you ought to do that. We ought to have space and time in our prayer time where we talk to God and we pray about whatever we want to pray about. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to take that and put it in a formative context. You know, if you imagine a a group of people pouring concrete, you know, Dave Bethany, you're going to have to really use your imagination for this. Um, when, When you have people pouring concrete, the first thing you do is build a form you got to build a, a form so that when you pour the concrete, it's going to be contained. And if you don't build a form, it's going to spill out everywhere and create a mess, and you're not going to be able to build something that's going to stand strong and sturdy for a long period of time. So right there at the foundation, you've got to have some formation. That's what I'm going to ask you to do with your prayer time. Talk to God. Tell God what's on your heart, but let's put it in a form that's going to shape you in a, in a proper orientation, health, a healthy life-giving orientation towards the Lord. So Jesus doesn't say, when you pray, just talk to God and tell, tell him what you want, as if all that matters is just being sincere. And as long as you're sincere, your prayer is just as equal and just, it matters just as much as everybody else's. That's a very modern way of thinking, but it is not correct. Jesus does not say when you pray, what really counts is you're sincere and all of your prayers are equal, so don't worry about it, just talk to God. He doesn't say that. What he does do is he gives them what they were asking and expecting him to do. He gives them a prayer to pray. Notice specifically how they make the request. They say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. What did Jesus and John have in common besides the fact that they were related? Both of them were Jewish rabbis. And Jewish rabbis would teach their students, their disciples, their little school of students. Even to this day, Jewish rabbis teach their students how to pray by composing prayers for them. And they give them the prayers and they say, here, pray this prayer. If you'll pray this prayer, it will teach you and form you on how to pray in a healthy way. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He gives them a prayer to pray. And we need to pray the prayer Jesus gave us to pray because that is the process of formation. Again, the primary purpose of prayer is to encounter God and to be formed by God. Left to ourselves, a selfish person is going to pray a selfish prayer. A greedy person is going to pray a greedy prayer. An angry person will pray an angry prayer. A manipulative person will pray a manipulative prayer. A fearful person will pray a fearful prayer. And on and on it goes. And what happens is we just end up recycling our own issues. And even worse, we become more deeply entrenched in our own issues. And rarely, if ever, will we actually experience change. 
And so when it comes to prayer, we need help, we need instruction, and we need formation because we cannot depend upon ourselves to pray properly. But the fact that I even have to make this point is a reflection of a very modern problem. When I say modern, I mean just like the last couple hundred years. The ancient people knew that prayer is a practice of formation. So when Jesus answers the question, he says, when you pray, say. It's the Greek word lego. Build your prayer with these words is essentially what he's saying. And he gives them this prayer to pray. And you know what? To this day, I will still have people ask me, Ryan, do you think that Jesus actually meant for us to pray this prayer as it was actually given? That's totally what he meant. Like a thousand percent, that's what he meant. I promise you for Peter and Andrew and James and John and all of the others, it would have never entered their mind that Jesus meant anything other than pray this prayer. It's a very modern idea that we, it, it, we just think to ourselves, oh, he must have meant something else. No, he meant for us to pray this prayer. Now, many of you come from maybe a Catholic background or a liturgical background, and so this is not a new idea for you, but it may be for you something you've got to unlearn and relearn. Because I, what I'm not advocating is for us to utilize the Lord's Prayer in um, just a rote, mindless, repetitive, unthinking way. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Like, it, like, you know, some of you, like when you send and you went to confession, you were given like this prescription, pray ten our fathers and so on and so forth. See, that's what we've got to unlearn. But what we need to do is we need to utilize the Lord's Prayer as a trellis is aiding a, a vine, a grapevine. The trellis is only there to support what's alive, and what's alive is the vine. It gives the, trellis, it gives the vine some structure. And so as we utilize the trellis of the Lord's Prayer, we slow down, and we take time, and we reflect upon these words, and we let them to absorb deep in our minds, deep in our hearts, and begin to form and shape us. And when we utilize the Lord's Prayer that way, you can't beat it. It is the perfect prayer. It's a creation of the word made flesh. And it touches on every need of human life. Uh, it's interesting to me that the highest and most eloquent praise I've ever heard given to the Lord's Prayer came from a very surprising source, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, who's mostly known as a, a novelist, but he was also a secular humanist. But I've never heard anybody give higher praise to the Lord's Prayer. I've shared this before. It's worth sharing again. Look at what he wrote. He said, while Einstein's theory of relativity may one day put Earth on the intergalactic map, it will always run a distant second to the Lord's Prayer whose harnessing of energies in their proper life-giving direction surpasses even the discovery of fire. Wow. He's right on target. Surprisingly, he's saying, you know, E equals MC squared and the discoveries of relativity, special relativity, general relativity, you know, those were huge advancements for humankind, but they're a distant second to the benefit that can be derived from praying the Lord's Prayer and the way it harnesses life's energies in a proper life-giving direction. Totally. Totally. He says it even surpasses the discovery of fire. Fire, you know, it helped humankind, but... But learning to pray the Lord's Prayer day by day, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can't beat it. It's number one on the list of human achievements, and it was an achievement of the Word made flesh. God become a human being. So I want us to, to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 as we continue on. Uh, 
Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is a verse that kind of describes the practices of the very earliest Christians. You notice it says they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread. This would be the Lord's Supper. And the fourth thing, it says, and the prayers. The prayers. Now, most translations, including the most recent translations, they translate it correctly because in the original Greek, there is a definite article. And this is what it says in the original Greek. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Unfortunately, there are some translations that inexplicably take out the definite article and they translate it this way. They devoted themselves to prayer as if they were just praying in some abstract sense. But that's not what it says. It says they devote themselves to the prayers. And you see there's a big difference there. If I tell you, I want you to devote yourself to prayer, you would think, okay, I I need to pray, but uh, who knows how I'll do it. I'll just, I guess I'll just pray however I pray. I'll just make it up as I go along. But if I were to tell you, I want you to devote yourself to the prayers, what's your very next question? What prayers? Exactly. They weren't just devoted to prayer as a general concept. Everybody just, you know, make it up as you go, you know, pray as you feel led, just talk to God. They were devoting themselves to the prayers. Now remember, these are the earliest Christians. Acts chapter 2. These are the earliest Christians. All of them came from a Jewish background. And as ancient Christians who have come, uh, who have risen up through Judaism, they did not have this modern aversion to praying composed prayers that a lot of Christians have today. There are in certain circles of Christianity, particularly in evangelicalism and Pentecostalism, there's like this suspicion and this distrust and aversion to the idea of praying a composed prayer. Like, we feel like prayer is only helpful if it's spontaneous. By the way, which it's never spontaneous. We're always praying from our own patterns. The question is, is it life-giving or not? You know, it may may or may not be written, but we all have a liturgy of prayer. Uh, And what I would just tell you is, okay, yours is not very good, so let me give you something better, (laughs) right? Um, but, 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 But we have like this aversion to the idea of praying a composed prayer, but what's interesting is that same aversion doesn't exist when it comes to singing composed songs. Like, what do we do on the weekend, on Saturday nights and Sunday morning? We gather together. Daniel comes up here with the band and the choir, and we put the lyrics up on the screen, and we sing composed songs written by somebody you've never met. You know, and and, uh, and we sing them, and just think of it as a prayer. The only difference is we're singing it, not speaking it. But it's essentially the same thing. But you know what? I've never in my life ever had anyone say, we shouldn't put the lyrics on the screen, you know, we shouldn't be singing these pre-composed songs. There's something wrong with that. Like, imagine if I were to stand here today and say, I got an announcement to make. Next weekend, uh, when we gather, we're just not going to put any lyrics on the screen. And Daniel and the band, they'll play, but we're not going to give them any music. They're just going to play as they feel led. And we want all of you, you know, whenever it strikes you, just just begin to sing out whatever you want to sing, whatever melody, just sing out whatever, just your own words to the Lord. You would like that for about five seconds. Even the most super deluxe spiritual Christian out here, you'd like for about five seconds, and then you would say, give us those lyrics back. Give us back the music and those composed songs that helped form us as a worshiping people. 
So the earliest Christians, and Christians really throughout 2,000 years, they were devoting themselves to the prayers. Now, what were these prayers that the early Christians were praying? It's not really a mystery. We, we have a sense of what they were doing. Beyond just their own improvised prayer, their, their prayers included basically three things. Number, number one, they would pray the Psalms because that's what the book of Psalms is. It's a prayer book. You don't just study the Psalms, you don't just read the Psalms, you pray the Psalms. So they would pray the Psalms, just like Jesus memorized and prayed the, prayed the Psalms. Um, secondly, it included the prayer that the Lord gave them. They would pray together the Lord's Prayer. And then thirdly, they would also pray prayers that the church was composing over time. The church composed songs and prayers, and they would adopt them into their, their practice. And not only did they have these set prayers, they also had set times of prayer that goes back to the Jewish faith, their Jewish practice. There were set times of the day when they would pray their prayers. You know what, you know what I learned this from? I learned it from Muslims who learned it from Christians. Like if you go to um, Israel, just an example, many of you have gone to Israel. I mean, it's really all over the world, but if you go to Israel um, with us sometime, you're going to experience the Muslim call to prayer. It's, there's five times a day. They have set times of prayer. And you will see their mosque with the big towers, the minarets, and they will uh, belt out. They have like a sound system. They'll belt out these prayers. And when you're in Jerusalem, you almost get the sense that they're doing it in a provocative way, you know, because they crank up that sound system and they just blare those those prayers all throughout the city and you'll hear it five times a day and if you're not used to it it'll catch you off guard and you might if you're not careful you'll get irritated by it but I I had an idea the second time we went to Israel this was about six years ago I had an idea I said you know what instead of instead of getting irritated I think what we're going to do as a group is we're going to take it as a call to prayer as Christians, when we, when we hear their Muslim call to prayer, we're going to take it as a cue to pray our prayer. And so every time we would hear it, we would stop what we're doing, and we would pause and hold hands, and we would pray the Lord's Prayer together. And this was a practice that the early Christians, because the Jews practiced set times. I want to encourage you to have set times of prayer. Maybe it's not five times, but however, however it fits within your life, it's important to have a set time of prayer where it's not just however I feel like it. There ought to be a rhythm, not only to when we pray, but what we pray and how we pray. If we, if we have a sort of framework and a sort of structure, a formative process, it begins to develop a rhythmic cadence in your life, and that's so important to our process of formation. These practices that we're going to be talking about during this six-week series, I think they work best when they have a rhythmic cadence within our lives. There ought to be a rhythm. Health is all about rhythm. Health is all about balance and rhythm. You know, you think about the bodily cycles and uh, the rhythms of the brain, the rhythms of the heart. Health is all about rhythm. Illness is when things get out of sync, out of rhythm, out of order, out of harmony. You, know, you can talk to a doctor and they'll tell you that when your brain chemistry gets out of whack, you're going to have some very deep problems. When your heart starts beating out of rhythm, you're going to have some very deep problems. And the same is true in the spiritual life of a human being. We need order, we need rhythm, we need harmony, we need balance. I want to show you this quote by Thomas Merton. He writes this, Happiness is not a matter of intensity, but of balance, 
order, rhythm, and harmony. So for me, when I sit down and pray, my prayer life is vibrant through these things, through balance and order and rhythm and harmony. In other words, when I sit down to pray, it's not that I'm trying to like conjure up this really super deluxe, emotionally intense experience. You know, I, I used to put that kind of pressure on myself that every time I meet with God, it's a burning bush moment. And I forgot that that happened once in Moses' life. And he, he wasn't the author of it. God initiated it. But if we will come to the Lord in a rhythmic cadence, if there's rhythm and order and balance in your prayer times, encounters with Jesus will happen along the way. And you just let them happen. You don't have to grasp for it. You don't have to clutch for it. You just let them happen as they happen. But that's what we want to maintain is a rhythm of prayer. I'm never very far away from prayer throughout my day. So lastly, I'm going to conclude with this. I want to give you four prayers to pray. In addition to your normal time where you talk to God and tell God what's on your heart, I want to encourage you to place that time within a formative context. And I want to give you four prayers to pray. First of all, I want to invite you to pray with me and pray with us the psalm for the day. Okay, right in the middle of your Bible, there's a book called the Book of Psalms. And what it is is a prayer book. I used to hate the Book of Psalms or like strongly dislike it. <laughs> But that was before I really understood the purpose of the Psalms. The Psalms are there to form me as a praying person. And so the way this works is there are 150 Psalms in the Bible, 150. There are 365 days of the year. So you start on January 1st with Psalm 1. I mean, you can start actually any time. But the, the, the rhythm starts on January 1st. You pray Psalm 1, January 2nd, Psalm 2, January 3rd, Psalm 3. And then you go all the way through the 150 Psalms. And on the 151st day of the year, you start over. And if you will do that for an entire year, you will have prayed through the book of Psalms roughly two and a half times. And you're doing what Jesus did with the Psalms. You're praying the Psalms. You'll notice that the Psalms um, vary in their moods. Some of the Psalms are really uplifting, really rejoicing, you know, very victorious, and they make you like really happy. And then a whole lot of the Psalms are like depressing and gloomy and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to get through it. But what I want to encourage you to do is we don't pick and choose which Psalm we're going to pray based on what mood I'm in. I take it as it comes. I take it as it comes because the purpose of praying the Psalms is not to express how I feel. The purpose of praying the Psalms is to feel what they express. That's what formation is. So today is the 106th day of the year. Did you know that? Today's the 106th day of the year. How do I know that? Because today I prayed the 106th Psalm. And that's how it works. So many of you are doing this already. You've been a part of the prayer workshop. And there are many people around the nation and around the world that are doing this as well. So I like the idea that we're doing this together. We're all on the same rhythm together. So the first prayer you pray is the psalm for the day. Secondly, I always pray Psalm 23 every day. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, so on and so forth. And I'll slowly, meditatively, I'll pray Psalm 23 in a way that allows the imagery in these truths to absorb deep into my heart. There's no psalm quite like Psalm 23 that has the capacity to establish my soul in a place of peace before I walk out the door. 
into an unpeaceful world. And so I encourage you to memorize Psalm 23. If you memorize it, it's portable. You can take it with you everywhere you go. And allow your mind, allow your imagination to be enriched with all of these images that you see. And you're going to read about a shepherd and still waters and green pastures and a cup that overflows and and a table prepared in the wilderness and so on. So we pray the psalm for the day, the 23rd psalm. Uh, Then you're also going to pray the prayer that the Lord gave us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to pray that in just a moment together before communion. And then finally... I'm going to invite you to pray the prayer for the week. The prayer for the week. You see this at the bottom of your bulletin. On the back side, there's the prayer for the week. It's always there. And you can always find it on the internet. If you go to healthyprayer.com, that's a website that I operate. Many people use it. It's free. You don't have to donate anything or subscribe. It's just there for you to use. And every Saturday morning, it'll change for the uh, psalm for the day, the prayer for the week, the passage of the week. But what are these prayers? First of all, I want you to know I don't write these prayers. These prayers have been um, formed by Christians over hundreds of years. They come to us. Most of them come out of the English Reformation. And, And there are five centuries of theological thought. And every one of these prayers are well-crafted, biblically rich, theologically sound, and time-tested. And I, so I take the prayer for the week, and every day in my prayer time, I will slowly pray the prayer for the week. And I do it every day. And then by Thursday morning, man, it's, it's becoming part of me. It's absorbing into my life. So I'm going to encourage you to pray these four things. This is the concrete form that you can use to pour your own prayer to the Lord, and it will form you well over time in a healthy, life-giving way. Amen? Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.